Miller's Netter, just talking to teachers. Teacher Development Trust Section, learning from the team at TDT on best practice CPD with research. Miller's Netter, just talking to teachers. Happy Friday, listeners. Welcome to this month's edition of the Teacher Development Trust Nailers Natter Takeover. This month excitingly sees the launch of our working paper, A Culture of Improvement. And in today's podcast, David Weston covers the purpose of this work and our interest in it, the findings of the evidence reviewed, and discusses the implications for culture on well-being with Nicola Owen. Their conversation includes points on the importance of support for new teachers, the influence leadership has on teachers' self-worth, self-belief, and intention to stay in the profession, the five key ingredients for well-being, and how ultimately, when leadership invests time in teachers as individuals and their future, they are investing in the futures of the pupils they teach. We'll give you more information about where to find the paper following today's discussion. Hello, my name's David Weston, and I'm the Chief Executive of the Teacher Development Trust. And I'm really excited today to talk about our new research paper um, that I and my colleagues, Bethan Hindley and Maria Cunningham have been working on. So the paper is called A Culture of Improvement, Reviewing the Research on Teacher Working Conditions. Now, this is a paper we have been working on for a few months now. We've been having such a great time reading papers and doing research and doing background. And while it's still a work in progress, we decided it's time to share our findings and discuss them. Um, So you can find the paper that we are still working on and you can find and download the working paper at tdtrust.org. That's Tango Delta Tango are the first three letters. tdtrust.org slash COI. COI for Culture of Improvement or Charlie Oscar India, if you want the initials. So tdtrust.org slash COI. Now, we got really interested in this area because most existing evidence reviews of professional development literature, well, they tend to focus on the content of the CPD. You know, what should we be teaching teachers about or the process? How should we do it? Should it be discussion groups or should it be large groups of teachers or should it be instructional coaching etc and they also tend to focus on big experimental studies based on large interventions you know we tried doing I don't know coaching with 100 schools and 50 got it and 50 didn't or um, we tried doing lesson study with 60 schools and 30 did it and 30 didn't and so on and the trouble with that is it neglects potentially important findings about how teachers working conditions or whether teachers working conditions have actually affected the improvement because it sort of stands to reason doesn't it that in some schools there will be the sort of working conditions or climate or you might say culture that are really helping teachers learn the things from these big interventions and other places there are things that are stopping them from doing that so we wanted to explore that And in particular, it's no good just feeling like it's a nice culture. So we thought, well, what aspects of culture can we link to students' academic attainment over time? So we looked at a lot of papers, um, 30 papers in total, of which 14 papers were studies ranging from the earliest from 1998 to the newest, which was just in the last couple of years, where there were large scale studies 
of teachers, um, mainly in the United States, although we had uh, a paper from Australia and a paper from the Far East looking at international baccalaureate schools. That was very interesting. And they did surveys of teachers to ask them, what's it like to work in your school? And then they compared the findings, usually at the school level, with how well the students were achieving in that school. Sometimes they looked over a period of time. Uh, sometimes they, in fact, looked at individual teachers and said, if teachers answered that, what was happening in their own classes? Either way, we brought those key papers with other literature reviews together. And we were trying to explore, if you bring it all together, what can we say about teacher working conditions and school leadership to explore the impact of then of these working conditions on student attainment? So the headlines are these. So we found evidence that, firstly, the quality of teachers working conditions has a clear and consistent relationship with student attainment. And it tentatively suggests a causal impact. We can't 100% prove that improve the working conditions and the student attainment increases, but there is some tentative and emerging evidence that um, you can see that in some cases, the working conditions preceded the improvement in student attainment and some other hints at causality. Um, the second thing is, it was very clear from all of the studies that the role of the school leader and particularly the school principal or head teacher was really crucial in fostering these conditions. And we found five aspects of the working conditions that seemed most closely associated with increased student attainment, sort of mapping across all the studies. So we described these five aspects as following. Number one, creating opportunities for effective teacher collaboration to in explore student data, to plan and review lessons and curricula, and plan and moderate assessments. Number two, involving teachers in whole school planning, decision-making and improvement. Number three, creating a culture of mutual trust, respect, enthusiasm, in which communication is open and honest. Number four, build a sense of shared mission with shared goals, clear priorities and high expectations of professional behaviours and of students learning. And finally, number five, facilitating classroom safety and behaviour where disruption and bullying are very rare and teachers feel strongly supported by senior leaders in their efforts to maintain this classroom environment. So those were the five aspects. And we noted additionally, there's a, a group of studies that suggests that if we are very careful and intentional in allocating teachers to certain partners, to mentors, to certain subjects and classes and keep that stable over time, that's also associated with positive impact on student attainment. And when we reflect then on the core working conditions, we find that the same sets of working conditions appear to be not only associated with student attainment increasing, but also associated with successful sustainable school turnaround, with successful retention of teachers in the schools and the profession, and with successfully navigating the complexities and uncertainties of COVID. And we found a paper on that. So in today's edition of Naylor's Natter, I wanted to explore the findings of the paper through the lens of well-being. Is there a tension between leading for improvement and leading for well-being? I'm really pleased to be joined today by Nick Owen. Uh, Nick is a mental health and well-being educator, trainer, practitioner and facilitator. She's a qualified teacher, having spent many years as a primary teacher and also founder of Zenic Wellbeing. Nick, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you very much for having me. 
Um, could you just briefly tell me a bit about your teaching career and then a bit more about your work that you do now? Yes. Well, my teaching career was actually inspired by um, a very good head teacher who saw my potential as a teaching assistant. Um, so I began my um, career in school as a teaching assistant for a couple of years before going off to do my PGCE. Um, yeah, she was she she really saw something in me and, and had a little bit of belief. So that was was wonderful for her to sort of encourage me and push me into the realms of primary teaching. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I've um, I've been in the classroom for over 20 years. A couple of years of that was as a teaching assistant. Um, and then I've been in I've only ever taught really in two schools bar training um, and my first school was um, a very steep learning curve shall we say <laughs> but yes I've been in, in education for over 20 years um, and I now successfully run my own business Senate Wellbeing which specialises in supporting children at the heart of everything really with their own self-care mental health and well-being and all the people that support a child in their life so um teachers um parents um yeah. other educators that work with with children so that everybody's giving the best to the child and leading by example brilliant thank you and isn't it lovely to hear that you sort of almost got your first big push into teaching because someone really believed in you um, and I just think that's really lovely actually to kind of to ride on that wave of belief of someone saying you can do this I just think it's fantastic and I know earlier this week you and I had a really good natter and we were reflecting on the teacher development trust's new working paper a culture of improvement um, and I know that culture and conditions means a lot for you I, I guess partly just your experience in the classroom and also your work um, in well-being. But I remember you telling me a really interesting story about that it didn't always go so well. And you sort of alluded to the steep learning curve and you had a really bad time as an NQT, didn't you? Yes, um, I began my teaching career as a year three teacher. Um, and I was, um, my parallel teacher was also on a teacher training program at the time. And there was very little support for as new teachers um, and I was actually bullied by my head teacher and deputy um, and it was a very very it was a horrible time um, and it really took an awful lot out of me my confidence my self-belief everything that I'd built up until coming to my NQT year was was literally left in tatters mm. um, and it was only until I actually left such a toxic environment that I realized that I, I was a good teacher um, and it took a lot of rebuilding um, from my head teacher that I've just left um, to rebuild my confidence and self-esteem really in the classroom so yes I had a pretty grim experience that nearly well almost led me to leave teaching altogether Thankfully, I didn't. <laughs> yeah, well, thank goodness. I mean, not because obviously you then spent a very long time um, afterwards and thank goodness for that other head teacher. And it, I mean, I really feel that one when you say that, um, partly because I had a remarkably similar experience um, myself in my, I think it would have been my NQT plus one year, maybe NQT plus two. 
Um, and I'm showing my age now because that would have been my QTS year, so I can tell you how long I've been in teaching. <laughs> okay, right, yeah. Um, let's gloss straight past that, shall we? <laughs> um, yeah, and I, I remember um, having a really, really difficult class who I was a really young teacher and I looked incredibly young for my age. And this group of um, 14, 15 year old girls, and they just gave me absolute hell. And I just for the life of me couldn't figure out what to do. But it wasn't so much that, I mean, that was frustrating, but actually I remember when I finally said, I just need help from someone. Then essentially they said, oh, well, you're just not good enough and we'll put you back in with the trainee teachers and we'll do this. And I just felt systematically as though, well, you know, they're fine. And actually, obviously you're sort of deficient. Um, and I, uh, funnily enough, I also made moves to leave teaching and it was my former head teacher who then said, oh no, why don't you come back and just do this and this and this and, and actually got me back into the classroom. And exactly like you, I thought, no, I am a good teacher. Like, you know, it's not that I know everything and I could obviously get better, but what I needed was someone to believe in me and I needed some support. Um, and funnily enough, obviously you'd had that support, which got you into teaching and then you had someone who didn't. And was yeah. toxic and then thank goodness you've got someone who did believe in you again yeah um, recovery <laughs> for one yeah point, it's um i think when you have somebody who is willing to invest time in building your confidence and building your skill set and in investing in in the future of, of their the, the children that they teach as well you know i think that's a, a massive thing yeah it does, it does fill you with with a lot of hope really of you know and, and the building of that relationship is is massive it's paramount to to moving forward into to um developing absolutely i mean and we often say um at the teacher development trust we say if we get these these conditions this culture this support right then it's the sort of place where teachers will thrive and children will succeed so you know it's better for better for teachers and better for the children um <laughs> they didn't always so get I'll be honest you know no no of course of course but (laughs) yeah but but you know (laughs) yeah if we bring those things together it makes a big difference and I know in your work with schools you often talk about five key ingredients um and it's a really elegant list would you mind just sort of giving us that those five key ingredients we, we at Zenit Wellbeing, I focus on um, the five areas of well-being, which is body, mind, spirit, place and people. Um, so when I think of, um, when we look at the areas of well-being, looking after yourself, respecting your body, you know, nourishing your body, making sure that you rest when you need to, making sure you exercise, have a good diet, that sort of thing. And that's the bit that, that you're you're responsible for. You know, your vessel has got to be well maintained, as they say. <laughs> um, and then I think about um, the mind and challenge and being able to be, um, you know, putting yourself out there, putting yourself out of the comfort zone, if you like, and into the stretch zone of learning for yourself and, and challenging yourself. And that could be in, in numerous ways, really. Um, I like to challenge myself with sporting events. So I'm currently training to run a marathon. I've never run a marathon. Oh. <laughs> so that is my mindful challenge and then I, when I think about spirit and I think about that in lots of different ways and I think kindness is the thing that comes to the forefront of everything um, doing things um, out of kindness 
treating people with kindness, including yourself. Um, and, you know, just wanting the world to be a better place and treating people the way that you'd like to be treated, I guess. And I think that's the, 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 the way in which I've always approached it with children. Mm. And then when we think of place, we think of our environments that we work in, our home environments, our communities that we, that we live in, our school environments, you know, making sure that it's a nurturing place that feels content and happy. Um, that isn't toxic in in any way you know I mean when we talk about toxic places you can that can stem from you know negativity in the language that we use as well so it's about a lot of things really when we think of place and I think the key one and I think this sort of like embeds everything is people connections you know if we've got good solid connections with people that we work with people that we educate the parents that we we um you know meet and speak with that is is in essence the the best thing for well-being i think and in the, as well in bridging the um the not the divide that's a wrong word to use really but the difference between a teaching role and then management as slt um, I think that's really really important that communication is key between the, the both parties really within a school environment especially. It's so interesting that you sort of say, you know, it's so underpinned by the communication, the relationships, the connection. Um, and of course, that's so connected to one of the points we bring out in the research paper, which is that um, in schools will be doing better, teachers will be improving more when teachers say that um, leaders are creating a culture of mutual trust, respect, enthusiasm, in which communication is open and honest. And it's funny, isn't it? Because we're saying on our paper, that is actually going to help teachers improve and pupil outcomes improve. And you're saying it's going to really help well-being. And actually, we reflected in our paper that it actually helps encourage teachers to stay in the profession and in that school. So why those two things? Why? <clears throat> why are that sense of trust and that sense of communication so important to our well-being do you think i think when whenever you build any sort of relationship um it could be in any aspect of your life the way in which we can build that relationship and it can flourish and grow is by feeling valued being seen and heard and trusted and i think that is the key um to any relationship you know, if you were to sit as an agony aunt, that would be, you know, that you, you feel valued in the relationship, that you feel equal, um, seen and heard and valued and trusted. So I think if we have that embedded in our relationships with our colleagues, um, whether they are a class teacher, an SLT, head teacher, whatever their role is, right down to, you know, the, the dinner staff, um, it's a case of if we've got that as our basis our foundation for our connections then people are going to have better communication mm. and it's uh, it's really interesting i mean when we're thinking about designing training for leaders when we're thinking about the most effective leadership in school it strikes me that there are skills that are really useful here in um not just i am leading my school but actually i have to ensure that people feel valued they feel seen they feel heard and that's there is a skill to that, isn't there? It's not just I am listening to you, but I need to then reiterate, I need to demonstrate, I need to narrate back. 
I need to reflect back. I need to show in a way that you go, wow, yeah, I really am feeling seen there. I really am feeling heard there. And that's that's quite a skillful thing. We can't just assume people have that, I no, guess. <laughs> I think the way in which we do that, um, I mean, I've never led in a school. I've, I've obviously led... Um, you know um subject areas and have led staff meetings and things like that but i've never led people in the sense that i was in the role of an slt however i i believe in asking questions um being able to find out how will this affect my staff mm. how will this decision impact their lifestyle how will this impact them as a teacher how will this impact them as a person? And I think when we ask the right questions, and it's not just about asking questions, it's about listening to the response, listening to the response and then working on that and to create a positive action. And I think having that um, basis of a good connection with good communication, with good listening skills, asking the right questions and making them feel involved in a process that will affect them is is just like the the golden thread of of managing people really isn't it you know if you invest in your your workforce and you invest time in finding out about them and what will you know impact them i think you you're onto a winning ticket really because i would feel valued as a member of staff if i knew that you know there was a new directive coming in and it could impact the you know the time that we spend in school or the mm. um you know the amount of paperwork that I need to do or you know it could be an, anything if I know that my leader my manager has actually given some thought on how that would impact me and my family and, and me as a person and me as a teacher then I would feel valued and seen and heard which is I mean such an important thing and um I'm just I'm, I'm connecting that in my head I suppose really with the the work that um we do at the Teach Development Trust when we're coaching and training head teachers and senior leaders. And it's surprising how often uh, people haven't necessarily thought about um, just telling the story back. Uh, so we, we so often use a little tool and just say, uh, right, I want you to go and take all of those results from your survey. Loads of people are surveying their staff and they're asking staff questions um, and sometimes actually the key step they're missing is to say you said we did and actually the you said is really important because um i think we've heard this is that right and that moment just to say look that's what i've heard from you um, and you're really welcome to add anything else to that and sometimes people go yeah you're right i feel really heard there um and then said okay and because we've heard that this is what we're going to do and sometimes you need to narrate that step because otherwise people see well, someone asked me a question once and I told them and then it disappeared into the void and now something's happening, but they, they haven't seen that actually senior leaders are thinking very hard about that. Um, and actually it's, there's something stress reducing, isn't there, about knowing that the people who have authority over you are listening to you. That sort of, it's, mm. it's a slightly calming thing. It's an energizing thing to know that you're being listened to, isn't it? It is because it puts you in a different realm it puts your relationship in a different realm doesn't it really yeah um, I've been in staff meetings where I've you know given a point um and I've felt that I've been heard and it's been addressed and I've also been in staff meetings where I've said something and I've felt that I've just been dismissed 
Mm. And, um, you know, it's obviously something very important to myself, the fact that I've actually spoken out about it. So even if it's not agreed with, it still needs to be acknowledged. And I think that's the key. You know, the you know, I understand where you're coming from. Yeah. But I will try to do my best to, to work with what you've just said. It might not be possible. You know, there is always, you know, that you will be asking for things or challenging things and that there is no solution to it or you won't get the outcome that you would like you know that's just life sometimes <laughs> i think it's got to go with the best the best fit but i think when you you have that that attention from somebody who is your line manager who is making decisions on your behalf i think if you've got that attention from them that they've actually listened to what you want mm. to want them to hear you know that that's really valuable and you, yeah you so valuable respect. you build a respect then you know. Yeah, and I'm I'm just thinking that you know this this overall sense of I feel respected and I feel trusted and and I'm just you know going back to we said I feel trusted, respected. There's shared enthusiasm. We can be open and honest. Then that you you'll feel so much less stressed. Um, and I suppose I was just actually thinking that I read a paper recently by who was it? So it was Mike Hobbis, Sam Sims, and Becky Allen, and it's um. Big long title. Um, where is it here? Oh, habit formation limits growth and teacher effectiveness. A review of converging evidence from neuroscience and social science. But in essence, one of the key things they say is that um, as teachers, we have to form habits to survive in the classroom. And the trouble is, once you form those habits, they're quite difficult to shift. And they note that a sort of experimental evidence shows that when people say they're more under pressure, they're more stressed. Then, firstly habits form very very quickly from whatever you're doing now it just turns into automatic habit really quickly because your body just says i just need to focus on the sources of stress and everything else just needs to be automated but then the problem is it makes you less likely to learn new things because you just rely on your habits and you're still focused on the stress so in their paper they said well maybe but because schools can be so such stressful places that limit limits teachers ability to learn and grow because we're so stressed we can't focus on our own practice it, it does i mean I, I talk in um a lot of my workshops about life on the autopilot and what you've just described there is absolutely perfect um in in describing that um survival tactic really of you know mm. you go into autopilot you'll deliver a lesson in autopilot and that sounds really horrible to hear as, as a teacher because when you teach, you should be in the moment and you should really, yeah. you know, um, listening to the children, engaging with the children so that they've got the engagement back. Um, but if you are in that cycle of stress and anxiety, the autopilot naturally kicks in and it's a survival mechanism. Absolutely. And, and funnily enough, this links to another point, actually, we, we um, identified in the paper, which is that um, so another condition that's really associated with improved teaching and improve student attainment is when leaders facilitate classroom safety and behavior where disruption and bullying are very rare and teachers feel strongly supported by senior leaders to maintain this sort of flourishing and um, calm classroom environment. And I'm just reflecting of sort of my life as a teacher, um, the number of times you put your hand on the sort of the, the handle of that door and your whole body tenses and braces because you think, oh, no, there's going to be a battle. And I'm going back to that poor version of me in my NQT plus one or two year. 
just braced and all I was doing is survival and of course I couldn't sit back and go right what can I think what's my next decision going to be and how can I reflect on that so you know actually it's it's partly we've got to have classrooms where teachers can learn I suppose as well as the children learn and we've got to have staff rooms I couldn't agree more I mean every single day that I went into my classroom I can honestly say I used to I used to do a, you know anything exciting that we've learned today and we have three things at the end of the day and the children would come up with theirs and they'd pop it on the post you know upon the display and I would always add something to mine and it would either be something that was about the children or it would be something a new point that I'd learned or a new method or something that I'd learned and the children actually saw me developing as a teacher then and they saw that you know you're always on that constant learning cycle and I think that is um, really good practice to be able to to encourage teachers to learn in the in their environments as well. Yeah, absolutely. And and I suppose it's worth reflecting here that um, we've we've taken a very teacher lens from this so far, haven't we? And said, oh, you know, senior leaders should, and they don't do this, and they must do this. But um, I was also struck when we chatted earlier this week about you found you had some really interesting results surveying teachers and leaders about their their sense of responsibility about well-being could you could you say a bit more about that yeah um I actually asked um I was training um some some teachers TAs um office staff and SLTs and I taught them all in the separate groups Uh, we had a bit of a workshop and I asked um the teachers and the teaching assistants and the office staff what percentage would you put place on school or and yourself as to um, who's responsible for your well-being? And within the teachers and TAs and the office staff, they all put the percentage higher on themselves. So they all believed that their um, well-being was down to them mainly with an element of school. So I think the split was about 75 on personal, 25 on school. When I said the same thing to the SLT, um, their immediate response was 50-50. They felt very responsible for their staff and their mm. well-being, which tells me that they are very, very conscious of their well-being and they want to protect the staff, um, mm. which I don't think is always um shown when you know i can see on edgy twitter how you know teachers will respond to a day (laughs) and you know that some bad experiences they might have had um i don't think sometimes that we stop and give slt the credit that they deserve and that can cause a lot of resentment and a lot of um widening of the gap between the us and them as i keep talking about (laughs) yeah and and actually I'm thinking for so look that's so fascinating because senior leaders are taking responsibility they really want staff well-being mm-hmm. and they're making efforts to improve staff well-being and yet we're very often hearing teachers thinking um not recognizing the efforts maybe and then probably blaming senior leaders so it must be very strange as a sense as a senior leader I feel responsible for your well-being um, you don't really necessarily can you, you can't necessarily see all the steps I'm taking and you're blaming me when things go wrong and goodness no wonder actually it's very hard to self-regulate as a senior leader and to keep those conversations going and in all of that whatever the problems are you can't just say you don't understand you have to quietly and calmly somehow bring people along that journey 
Yeah, I, I do feel, um, I mean, I think well-being of SLT and head teachers in particular at this moment in time is, is very, 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 mm. <laughs> it's a, it needs a lot of help. Um, I do fear that sometimes, and this is through some of the, the questionnaires that I've um, seen the results of, that I'm, the schools that I'm involved with, um, you do feel that sometimes leadership do forget the or haven't got a full understanding of what it's like to be full-time in a classroom um, and I think that's the angle that teachers will come at when things get asked of them um, and they say well when do you want me to do it because I can't do it and you've not got an idea of what it's like to be me in mm. the classroom because you're in the office or you're you're not teaching anymore <laughs> you know and that whole um and I think that's what causes the divide. It's that lack of understanding and empathy. Not not empathy, no, I'm going to rephrase that. It's that lack of understanding of what it's actually like to be in the classroom right here, right now. Yeah. And I think you lose that sense when you move into management. It's um, because you're taking on new responsibilities and new roles. You know, it's not th through no fault of anybody's, really. I think what what is c coming out of my work is that senior leaders need to be very very aware of what is happening in classrooms and how workload is for your, your standard teacher. I'm just thinking that goes back to the point you made earlier about teachers feeling seen and heard and valued and trusted and actually I wonder if there are senior leaders there must be loads of senior leaders out there who are thinking I know I remember just what it was like as a classroom teacher and maybe some of this is actually teachers want to be asked, you know, what's it like for you? How will this impact you? Yeah. And then someone to go back and relate, oh, I know you've got these pressures and I can see this could be difficult because, mm -hmm. which might be seemingly to say, I don't need to do that. I already understand it. But maybe it's that additional step of helping teachers feel really heard and talking to teachers and asking them. And you might learn new things as a senior leader, but just as important, it's really important for staff to feel like they're being asked and then to hear it back and they say, yeah, they do understand me. Maybe yeah. that's also a missing piece here, actually, is again, that communication, that reiterate. Yeah, I think it's real conversations, isn't it? I mean, my yeah. teacher, she knew everything about my family. She knew um, the, the things that I was going through personally because I would tell her, I'd have that conversation with her because she needed to know on the days that I might not be great because... My mum was um, diagnosed with cancer, so there were some days that I was wobbly, you know, emotionally. So she needed to know what was going on. They're not my readers. Um, and I think it's about ex having a relationship with your managers that does slightly make you vulnerable because that will build that connection. Yeah. And I think if, if leaders are actually having the conversation with their staff, is everything all right? Just a friendly check-in. And I'm not saying that everybody's going to have that relationship with their senior leadership team. You, you know, we're all different and we all have our own um, boundaries, personal boundaries, etc. But I just think if you are a good leader, you will notice changes of behaviour. You'll notice changes in um, performance. And if you notice those changes, then there's a reason behind it. There's always mm. a reason for behaviour. 
Um, and I think as a leader, you need to be asking the right questions and protecting staff when new initiatives come in and, you know, saying, how does this impact my staff? Yeah. What is this yeah. going to mean for me and my staff and my school? And, and leading as a school and the people that are in it rather than aiming to um, achieve <laughs> what the government want you to achieve, <laughs> the target. Yeah. Absolutely. And I can see two links here. I mean, number one, we don't even start on this subject because it's just too long, but the whole knotty topic of line management and the difficulty of making sure that everyone has regular conversations with someone who can be a mentor, a coach and, uh, you know, and their line manager and leader. Um, that's one thing, but maybe it is more relevant to then link to another point we make in the working paper which says that, again, student outcomes seem to be more likely to be improving where leaders are involving teachers in whole school planning, decision making and improvement. And I guess we can see if we sort of draw and join the dots between what you've just been saying there, mm -hmm. then part of that will be teachers saying, I feel seen, valued and heard because I can see that my perspective and my working conditions are being understood in your planning of these things yeah. but then also when we are engaging in policies when we are you know doing school improvement or we're doing initiatives I feel part of it I feel some ownership of that yeah. um, and I guess that's also going to be helpful for well-being right that feeling of teachers just feeling involved yes I mean the work that I'm currently doing I run a well-being charter program whereby every single member of the staff is is um, they identify how they're feeling about the well-being and how aspects of the school are run we then um take on um an analysis really of what the school's doing well and what they need to improve upon and if they had you know a magic wand what would it what would it look like um and then that is going to be used to form an action plan that the whole school are going to work on to develop their own charter of well-being that everybody you know will will contribute to and adhere to really um, and I think that for me, it's that building of something that is together, that comes from the people that are in the school, that comes yeah. from the people who actually run the school. You know, we, senior leaders run the school, obviously, in a managerial role, but teachers are the, the people power behind it. You know, they're the ones at the chalk face. So when decisions are made, and you know the way in how the school's been developed it should come from everybody i think yeah um and uh, again such a fascinating area but i guess you know pulling all of these things we've talked about together is um i guess lots of people say oh i've got to run my school and then i've got to do well-being or i've got to do school improvement and then i need to do a well-being thing separately but i guess what we're saying is all of these core approaches to leadership actually underpin helping teachers get better and, and children learn better, but also create that really thriving environment. And, and it's funny how pretty much everything you've said, we can also relate to the literature on the sorts of schools where outcomes are likely to improve, um, it, it, which is, I guess that's quite a relief, right? The fact that those two things are related. <laughs> yeah, I, th I mean, I, I just, at the ultimate point of every single, you know, if you ask any teacher and you ask any head teacher, any member of SLT, what is your main focus? What is your main role? And it's to educate children, to make them well-rounded human beings. Yeah. They are the 
they're there aren't they that's what you're there for um and in order to do that you've got to come from a good place as well whatever your role is you've got to be in a good place in order to encourage and develop those children yeah absolutely yeah and I, and that's you know that's got to be so much more than getting someone to you know come in and do 20 minutes for well on well-being and then great we've ticked that box so well-being is <laughs> um, well like the golden thread you know it is it is aspect of school um so if i sort of just finish off quick fire any like really good tips or even any bits of advice on just don't do this do do this like if you had to give two or three bits of advice to people listening like this is really practical do's and don'ts um i I sat and thought about this and i think these are very simple things that you can do (laughs) um think before you speak whether you are a teacher whether you are slt head teacher just put you Mm. you know your mind your brain into gear before you open your mouth because words can they can hurt and they can cause a lot of anxiety and stress so make sure you're being impeccable with your word i think that's the the one thing the first top tip i think the second one is to remember that we're only human you know we do make mistakes but the way in which we overcome those mistakes and learn from them is through communication and connection so being able to communicate why something has upset you without the the whole baggage of emotion and getting upset and and angry and you know (laughs) trying to um upset others i guess so those two things are really really important for me um and i think Mm -hmm. they should be really at the forefront of everything and i think that the last one um just make sure you know how to listen so i mean they're all based around communication and, and the language that we use with each other and I think it's all built on a, a foundation of kindness and respect. And I think if you've if you can try to create good communication and connections within your staff where they feel valued, seen and heard and trusted, then I think we're on a winning ticket really, to be honest. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, um what a what a great note for us to sort of finish up on there because um I guess at the heart of what we're trying to look at in this paper is actually that there are, this isn't soft and woolly, actually communication is a highly skilled structured approach and and actually weaving this great communication and really good collaboration and really good relationship building is a very intentional and detailed process. And, um, you know, people can learn it. Um, and it, <laughs> everything you're saying suggests that it's a win-win-win to do that. Um, thank you so much, Nick. I really, Really appreciate it. Um, if people listening want to find out more about you and your work, where can they go? Yeah, I do have a website, senitwellbeing.co.uk. Um, I'm also quite um, active on Twitter with um, sphoenix78 as my personal handle and zenitw as my uh, business handle. But yeah, um, if anybody wants to drop me a line, we can discuss things further or if you've got any points, if you don't agree with me, then <laughs> that's fine. But yeah, it'd be lovely to to connect with other people as well. And well, it's been really lovely connecting with you and I really appreciate your time. I think loads of nuggets of wisdom there and I want to go away and think more <laughs> about <laughs> um, about thinking before I speak. I could definitely do with doing more of that, Nick. I, I, I'm one of those people who I'm speaking and I'm thinking as I'm speaking and sometimes it goes horribly wrong. So what a, what a great tip. Um, 
listen, thank you so much. And thank you everyone for listening to us today. Back over to Michelle. Thanks so much. If you enjoyed today's podcast, you can find out more about TDT and the work that we do at tdtrust.org. As David mentioned, you can find the working paper at tdtrust.org forward slash COI for culture of improvement. There you can also sign up to receive an exclusive recording of authors, TDT CEO David Weston, Head of Education Maria Cunningham and Training Lead Bethan Hindley discussing the paper and the findings along with a critical reflection from Dr. Sam Sims. Remember to sign up to our newsletter for monthly updates on CPD. We'll be back next month for another TDT takeover of Naylor's Natter, but tune in next Friday for more from Phil and his team. Wishing you a wonderful weekend from everyone at the Teacher Development Trust, and thank you for listening. Naylor's Natter, just talking to teachers. Teacher Development Trust section, learning from the team at TDT on best practice CPD with research. Nailers Netter, just talking to teachers.